It is Friday, March 25th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to episode four of Best Ball Friday. I'm your host, Matt Schaff, and with me today is somebody making his third guest appearance, I'm pretty sure, on the podcast, so you know he's bringing the goods. I've been following his stuff since I first came across it at Roto World. He is now one of the primary faces on Underdog, a 2021 finalist for the FSWA's Best Fantasy Football Podcast Award. He is at Hayden Winks on Twitter because that's his name. Hayden, thanks very much for joining me again on here. Yeah, thank you. Lucky enough to have a unique enough name where it was pretty easy for me to get that uh, Twitter handle. I wanted to say in that intro video, I love that picture of you with the the hat, like all the way covering your eyes. That's like an all timer. Oh, yeah, baby. You got to brand it. So that is your real name. It's not a stage name, right? Because I know you're a SoCal no. guy. No, yeah, no, I'm not that Hollywood. <laughs> it's funny because I remember when we were when our first kid was on the way, I remember having Hayden in the very early stages as a possibility for male. It ended up being a female. Our third was a boy. It had kind of worked its way out of contention by that yep. point. I think probably because I had seen a couple more viewings of Hayden Christensen as the whiny Anakin Skywalker kind of soured me on it. Yep. And I get like female Hayden all the time. I get Caden. If I'm like going to Starbucks, it's Aiden. So um yeah it's it's tough out here i'm sure any references to coach from like maybe older people that come across it yes and my dad looks identical to him so yeah that's like another added element because i think about that show every single time i hear the name so um now we'll get that out of the way but before we get to the real stuff here and we're going to talk not only best ball but also prospect stuff because i i came across hayden first in that context but before we get to the meat of the show I want to get your thoughts, you know, off off the cuff or anything you've developed since the news, but your thoughts on the new Chiefs wide receiver configuration, how you're treating Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, anybody else who might be relevant in your rankings or to your drafting. Yeah, so I moved Juju up to the 50s, which puts him in that kind of like wide receiver two, wide receiver three. He can be a top 15 wide receiver. I kind of want to wait for the draft to make sure that they don't get one of these absolute studs, but I think he's like, they're changing their offense on purpose. They changed their offensive line last year to kind of be a little bit more bully ball. I think they moved uh, Tyree kill. Cause they kind of want to get rid of uh, a lot of these two high defenses go with Juju Smith Schuster, who can block. He's more of that bully slot option. And then I'm a huge fan of MVS MVS. I think might be the most underrated receiver in the game. I'm not calling him great, but what he does is very helpful for teams. And I think he's actually pretty productive. He did not have a drop issue last year. He's always severely underdrafted because people remember the Monday night games where he has a, a bad drop. But I think in this offense, he's kind of a perfect fit. So I'm going to be probably overweight on both of them. I think the player that I was out on initially was Travis Kelsey. I did not want to draft him this year. Uh, we'll get to it later, but not as sold as tight ends in best ball. But then I had to move him right back up because he should, if he's healthy, um, which he always has been, he's going to be smashing just because of targets. Right. I think you don't want to take him at like 108 if like where you had to take him last year, but most people don't want to at this point. So if he's yep. early in round two, it's like, yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and mix in some Kelsey. Yep. It's it's interesting to me because fantasy Twitter, and it, that might just be the bubble that I'm in too often, and maybe that's not going to match with public perception, but fantasy Twitter does not want to let juju's first two seasons go i mean to us he's still this amazing young player and we're just waiting for him to get free from old ben roethlisberger and then it's going to come back but now at this point we have those two seasons where he was playing alongside antonio brown who's one of the best receivers ever uh, for the way he produced there we also have three very meh seasons and you can blame it on the quarterbacks but we also had some non-meh things from deontay johnson from chase claypool in the same range so I think at this point, we have to at least entertain the possibility that Juju Smith-Schuster is just okay, that he's Jarvis yeah. Landry, that he might be, you know, I guess Jarvis Landry is probably a good floor for him. So yep. if people elevate Marquez Valdez-Scantling to like round five of drafts, then yeah, I'm like, all right, give me some Juju. But it sure seems like early perceptions, MVS is going to stay in the double-digit rounds and Juju is probably going to be the one into in the early to mid single-digit rounds, and if that's the case, it's very easily Valdez-Scantling for me as a better value. Yeah, so with, with Juju, I think that he's just not that great of an athlete. I know, like, athleticism, we talk about the combine. It's 
doesn't matter all that much for receivers, but you can see when a receiver is not moving all that well. That doesn't mean that he's bad, but just means that their ceiling is relatively capped. Of course, if Travis Kelsey goes down or something like that, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to go to the moon. So I want to have some shares of him. I think Jarvis Landry would be a great comp, but if we had prime Jarvis Landry with Patrick Mahomes, I think that we'd be pretty optimistic. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a wide receiver too. I don't want to rank them there yet because it's very young into this offseason. I'm sure that they're going to add uh, somebody. They have a little bit of cap space to work with. Yeah, MVS. I would be surprised if you get schemed too much just because people have this really negative bias going back years. He was like being drafted like 170s even last year, and he's been producing in my better and best ball points as a top 100 player um, the last couple seasons just because the spiked weeks are so valuable on underdog. I saw somebody say on FFPC that he went in the 19th round yesterday, a live draft yesterday after he signed with the Chiefs, which I would have thought that was a value when he was a free agent. I didn't know it was going to happen. So it's kind of amazing to me. And I noticed that you did not mention Nicole Hardman's name at all yet. (laughs) Well, it was it was funny before this trade, he was like going like 150th overall on underdog. And I was like, this is the year to draft McCole Hardman because he's not juiced up until the 80s and 90s. And then the Tyreek Hill trade happens. But the problem is they assign Juju Smith-Schuster and McCole Hardman is a slot receiver. And then if he's not a slot receiver, they kind of get him going on these uh, deep routes as well. And that's MVS's role. So they kind of have like the two skill sets that McCole Hardman kind of has. They have him filled with their top two receivers right now. So I don't know how exactly he's going to fit in here. I'm guessing that they're going to find an X receiver uh, in the draft, or m- maybe there's some scrub free agency that they, a free agent that they end up with. But I think McCall Hardman's mostly going to be in the same role as he has been. Um, but if one of if MVS or Juju goes down with an injury, I think that he's somebody worthwhile to at least have some shares in, at least in like some Patrick Mahomes stacks. Uh, the price is just basically free at this point yeah especially in the the underdog tourney format where it's that one week thing as we get to the end of the season where he could be terrible all year and if he goes off in week 17 then he's a good good player to have around one more note on mvs i think most people just look at him and think he stands outside he runs all the way down the field he either catches it or doesn't but he spent 30 plus percent of his uh pass snaps in the slot last year 46 percent as a rookie so the chiefs like to move guys around tyreek hill played all over the place. So I think that we're going to get some of MBS in there. I think his a dot is going to come down from the 18 yards that it's been over the past two years. And I think that will probably help to, you know, change his production versus what the general perception of, of him is at this point. Yeah. I saw some good chatter from Nate Tyson. Some like the biggest film grinders out there talking about, we might get a little bit more 12 personnel with this chiefs team, just because both Juju and MVS are very willing run blockers for wide receivers. They already have Travis Kelsey in that kind of X position where they might uh, throw in the second tight end. And if that's the case and it's a second tight end is in there to do play action stuff with Juju and MVS, like I definitely want some shares of that. Mm -hmm. I'll be curious to see too, where Patrick Mahomes uh, settles in. You haven't seen any movement yet on him in ADP. Have you? It's probably a little too short to, to notice that. Yeah, and our, our tournament right now is the super flex. So like he would like move like two spots down. It's like hard <laughs> to tell like what that means. But I think he was like being drafted like 32nd overall. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like 40th, somewhere in that range. He's probably still the quarterback too, though. Yeah, when are you guys gonna get another non-super flex tournament going so that I can actually judge these things in the format that most of us are playing throughout the year? Right. I know. Uh we are we are experimenting. It's a long off season, so we want to give us a little something to think about uh before we get into the big stuff. And trust me, the this tournament, I just heard the figures. The, it is absurd how big this next tournament is going to be. So a- after the draft, we'll we'll be full steam ahead into regular best ball. I'm assuming that's going to be an IDP tournament, right? <laughs> that Maybe we should do that eventually. Who knows? Please. I'll, I'll definitely sign up. I'm going to go ahead and reserve my shares now. Okay. All right. So let's move into what is actually happening right now before we get too far into what people can look for. And one of the things that we see from you these days, and um, if people don't know you for it, I mean, they should be aware of it at this point. Better in best ball. It's a cliche in general because everybody sees an MVS, a Will Fuller, and they say, oh, he's a better wide receiver in best ball because he has spike weeks and I don't have to guess when they are. So it's a fun, it's, it's an FF cliche at this point, but you turn that cliche into some research. So tell me about what goes into your better in best ball system and what you have learned from that research. 
Yeah. So the first thing I did is I actually looked to see um, the replacement value at each position. So whatever the quarterback 12 is scoring, whatever the RB 24 scoring wide receiver 36, get that number. I made some adjustments for the flex spot. And then you take like running backs average like 10 points to get into your starting lineup at the very least. Christian McCaffrey averages 22 points. So he's averaging 12 points above replacement. And that's basically what this is. Fantasy points above replacement. I call it better and best ball points. And the reason why it matters so much is in the regular, like your regular redraft leagues, you're starting that Christian McCaffrey game when he gets four points. So like you have to take the average scores. If Christian McCaffrey averages or gets you four points in a week in a best ball, your RB three probably is better. And that RB three would have been on your bench in a redraft. He's not. So I want to take this over replacement. And when I looked, I did the MVS article just on this. I actually did look at where MVS would rank if he was just on average points versus in, in these better and best ball points. And MVS is undeniably better in better and best ball. That is like an actual fact. He was like, uh, instead of like the RB or wide receiver 48, he all of a sudden becomes the wide receiver 38. And that kind of better and best ball cliche, I think actually plays out. But for me, it's the best metric to compare across all positions. I can do this for quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends throw it into a, a table and then build some content on, on it from there. And that's like actually taking the value of what they're actually producing for uh, your best ball team. So what surprised you when you did this initial research? Yeah. So the first thing is I started to notice last year that the quarterbacks were much higher in the best, uh, best, better and best ball points compared to the ADPs. And then on the flip side, the tight ends, were much worse uh, from this year. For example, only four of the top 70 players were tight ends and we draft tight ends way earlier that on average. So it's just like a good level playing field. I think that the biggest takeaway for sure is that the quarterbacks were being underdrafted. the running backs and wide receivers on, on underdog it's half PPR. I think if we were playing full PPR, the wide receivers would be kind of smacking the running backs, but really it's like it, on the rankings, it goes like running back, wide receiver, back and forth, back and forth, all the way down uh, like to the top 40. And then that's when you start getting into your tight ends and some of the other positions. But it's it's a good metric. It's like the one I reference. If I'm just like like right when MVS gets traded, it's the metric that I pull up uh, just to give me like get, get them into the right tier. I think it does a good job um, for best ball. Do you think it has some application too for non-best ball drafting? I mean, don't you – if if all other things are equal and it's later later in the draft especially don't you want the guy that is better in best ball in case he gets more opportunities that turn him into a better every week guy yeah i, I think it's still it's still a good metric to kind of like if you're taking average points the quarterbacks you would like be way overrating them so this is still the over replacement value um so i still think it would work for redraft leagues too Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, the question was going around Twitter. Um, I think it was a poll. It was like, do you want the running back who gives you 15 every week? Or do you want the running back who gives you 25 for the first eight weeks and then goes away? And you want the 25 guy because yep. you're not replacing him with zero when he disappears. Yep. hundred percent. So this offseason, you already alluded to it. You've done some work on the value of quarterbacks in the underdog format. You have found that they were not getting drafted early enough. Is that, would that be like the, the base, the basic first lesson from what you found? Yeah, definitely. Like Josh Allen was like top five, like multiple, I think like 12, like the top, like 28, I forget the, forget the exact number were quarterbacks and we don't draft that many quarterbacks, not even until we get to like the 80th overall pick. And to me, it makes sense why this is happening. Number one, it's best ball. And historically, if it's non best ball, if you're uh, playing the waiver wire, the quarterbacks become less uh, valuable because you can always find that streaming guy in best ball. You don't get to pick up the Tyler Huntley. Like that guy just wasn't part of the draft pool. You're not being able to pick him up. So you're kind of stuck with the guys that you draft that makes the top end guys a little more valuable. The number two, I think the biggest thing is the trend like the last five years before the late round quarterback, they were just targeting the, the rushing quarterback. Like we drafted Trey Lance and Justin Fields as top 15 quarterbacks last year. There is no sneaking by the uh, rushing quarterbacks. Like that kind of cheat code has been mostly eliminated. Jalen Hurts is the qu- quarterback eight all of a sudden. Previously, I think that he would have been the quarterback 16, and that means we can wait on the quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen ever again. We're just too smart. The other thing is that the ind- industry consensus is that quarterbacks are, re- are replaceable. 
And I think that kind of is just keeping these ADPs low. So even if the gap kind of shrinks, I think it's going to not shrink enough to what the better and best ball points are showing. And then lastly, it's half PPR. And what that means is just running backs and wide receivers and tight ends are just not scoring as many points straight up versus PPR. And it sounds silly, but like they're just not averaging as many points. We didn't move the quarterback scoring on underdog. That's like the same as your PPR league. So just by default, they're scoring more points are contributing more. They're worth more. Um, so those are like the primary takeaways for why quarterbacks are a little under undervalued right now. Yeah. I think it's kind of easy for the average drafter, even somebody who does a lot of drafting or their own projections to, you know, not account for that difference in a scoring format where quarterback points are uh, more important because the other guys are scoring less. So where should I have drafted say, you know, where should the fourth quarterback or fifth quarterback have gone in drafts last year based on this? Should he have been off the board by the end of round four, for example, is that, or somewhere yeah. else? So I, in my notes, I have 11 of the top 50 players were quarterbacks, but only four quarterbacks were drafted in the top 50. So I think you can make an argument that Josh Allen's going a couple spots too low right now, but I think it's even that second tier. Like I have Kyler Murray ranked well ahead of his ADP, same thing. Uh, with like a Matthew Stafford, those types of quarterbacks all the way. The only one like that's not is, is Joe Burrow because everybody wants to be drafting Joe Burrow right now. And his ADP seems kind of kind of crazy. But like Lamar Jackson, all of those quarterbacks, I think are being drafted basically around too late. And I always talk about just because you have somebody ranked higher does not mean you should draft them there. You should draft your, your guys at ADP because even if you're drafting your guys at ADP, you still have like a 50-50 chance of being able to draft them. So just because I have these quarterbacks ranked ahead of ADP I'm still just waiting until uh that two three turn to draft Josh Allen just because I would draft him if he was being ranked 13th overall does not mean I'm reaching there so it's always playing that that value game even if you think that you have an edge at a certain position now for the number of quarterbacks and I guess for where we're drafting the other quarterbacks so let's say you take one of those guys now and I it's certainly something that I have incorporated more you know I have certainly been generally historically of the mind of I'll wait on quarterbacks and especially if people are drafting them earlier I'm going to wait even longer and take the wide receivers and running backs that they're missing but I'm seeing value in you know Kyler Murray being in round five or six in Dak Prescott being down a little bit although he's a little bit less exciting at the moment yeah. uh, than he was a year ago for me so if I'm drafting one of those top six quarterbacks should I be looking for a second one sooner should I be looking for the second one in the round 10 range? And uh, I, I guess beyond that, what about the third quarterback thing that you found this year? Yeah, so this exact question kind of changed what I'm going to be doing for my content moving forward. I want to be looking at case studies. Like when I, I pull these like uh, when it's optimal to draft each position charts on there because it's like getting every single draft pick of over hundreds of thousands of drafts onto one chart, which is cool, but it only gets you so far. I think it's like more guardrails. And these case studies, like the question you just asked, I think are actually going to change how I'm going to be drafting a lot more. So uh, I did a case study with Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. Uh, Kyler Murray from 2020, uh, the 2020 season, Josh Allen last year, they were the, one of the best scoring quarterbacks. They were being drafted in like that round five range. What I found was that if you drafted the second quarterback in that round three through seven range, that's way too early. There's uh, diminishing returns. You're kind of cannibalizing those two players, even if they are good players. Like last year, the if you went Josh Allen with Justin Herbert, even though Justin Herbert was a baller, the Justin Herbert teams by themselves were better than them with Josh Allen. Instead, it was best to wait until kind of like that round eight to 14 range to draft that quarterback to the best pairing on the Josh Allen teams last year was if Tom Brady was the second quarterback and he was being drafted in the eighth or ninth round. So I think like the golden rule, and this was kind of the same thing in the, the Kyler Murray discussion from two years ago. If you draft that elite guy, I I'm still down for like two top 14 quarterbacks, but it can't be the two top five quarterbacks. You can go elite quarterback and then low end quarterback one. But if you do that, you're drafting two and getting out of there. So I think, golden rule around like the round eight to 12 range. That's when you can kind of double dip. But if you do log out from there. Yeah. 
That's good. I like when findings like that line up with what I would think makes sense. Because, I mean, the point of drafting that early guy is because he's a stud. So if you have a stud, he should be starting for you more weeks than other guys you draft. So you should be able to wait later. And then you get some of that value by getting the earlier players at other positions in between that and your next quarterback. What about a third QB? If I have Josh Allen, if I have 2020 Kyler Murray, should I just forget about a third QB? And I know, you know, there's a whole other discussion about um, spreading uh, spreading out your portfolio, you know, different lineup builds. And I, I know we shouldn't do the same thing every time, but in general, should I be looking at third quarterbacks or should I skip that third one? Yeah, so I think it really depends on your who your quarterback two is. If you go, like, did the Josh Allen plus, I don't know, like Joe Burrow last year, I probably would have called it a day. But if you waited all the way until the Daniel Jones tier, that's when I think you should go the third quarterback. So it's, it's really just kind of falling in line with common sense. And I also think that there's this difference between getting that. I think that drafting that third quarterback will help you advance more straight up, but you run into the problem because the prize pools are so uh, top heavy to the actual tournament that you start losing some of the value because you're wasting a pick. Now I think that's largely overstated in general. I think I'm still open to the third quarterback, but it's got to make sense like that third quarterback, you already have had to draft a couple of their wide receivers. Like that's when I would make the exception, but I think uh, going to top 13 quarterbacks or whatever the number is, I would probably stop there, but anything beyond that, I think that the third quarterback is totally viable only if they're stacked though. And how does that differ if I'm just drafting, you know, straight 12 team leagues, if I'm drafting volume for those instead of chasing tournaments. Yeah, I, I think in those, I would be way more willing to go the third quarterback. It was it was definitely optimal when I was uh, posting those those charts, and you're not really worried about what's going to happen in week 16 and what how that kind of affects your lineup. So I think I would be more willing, even in like the Josh Allen teams. Like going back to the the first part, the quarterbacks just score way more points. Like it's it sounds silly, and I like I feel like a dumbass whenever I'm t- saying like, hey, quarterbacks score 20 points a game, and the tight end scores eight. So like you should draft more of the quarterbacks. But that's basically what what is happening here. If you are punting the the highest scoring position, you're going to have, I think, a, a pretty long day just because you're not finding Lamar Jackson in round 18 anymore. Like those days are are long gone. That's sad. Um, what about the other positions beyond quarterback? Even though they're scoring the most, the other guys are still scoring. So how should we have drafted running backs, wide receivers, tight ends last year? So the Best starts were either one running back in the first two rounds or two running backs. If you went zero RB, the um, win rates and all that stuff tanked down. That does not mean that you were, were didn't have a fighting chance. You could definitely still win with any structure. But the best for running backs, it was running back, running back, wait a long time, get into that round nine through 13 range. That's where you found James Conner, Leonard Fournette. You found some of the insurance types. Um, so it was kind of that barbell approach. I call it bimodal RB, but whatever, two running backs and then wait. So that that's a kind of the thing is just the diminishing returns. If you drafted two studs at running back, like wasting another fourth pick uh, seems a little bit too much. You're only trying to jam them into your flex spot. And then when you have the best ball scoring, that like wide receiver six is just going to end up outscoring that RB three on a lot of those weeks, just because of variance. So um, I always think the barbell approach works. It, the zero RB approach works uh, as well. The problem last year was just the early round wide receivers just didn't hit. And then like Cooper cup, Debo Samuel, all those guys, Jalen Waddle, they ended up being the top performing uh, wide receivers. And those guys did not cost top two round picks. And that's, that's kind of how it's been like the wide receivers. It's that round three through six round three through eight range to me where like those guys are just putting up points like every single year. So that's kind of like what I'm always aiming for is, is running backs early and then stop. Like I don't want to deal with the dead, the dead zone. I don't even want to deal with the after dead zone. I basically want the two studs and just like the RB insurance guys. And I, that's basically it. Every year there's there are a couple of guys in the dead zone. And I wonder where it's starting. I wonder if I'm getting duped. It's tough for me to stay away from the dead zone. If that includes Saquon Barkley and Cam Akers right. this year. I'm definitely yeah. with you on grabbing those two early running backs, though, and it's felt very easy to do. I found myself a lot of times an underdog taking three and then waiting for a while. I sometimes a yep. fourth, honestly, especially because we're playing this format where you have to beat thousands of other teams. So I figure that's going to be different than what most folks are doing with the way wide receivers fly off the board here. 
But yeah, I, I, I wonder whether we're going to see the dead zone move back a little bit as yep. more people are aware of it and trying to stay away from it. And if that, you know, brings some of those running backs back to life, Tra- Travis Etienne, I think is a good example for right now, because in the past couple of years where he's going, he would be prime dead zone running back candidate right now. But if you just look at him and what he has going for him versus what he has going against him, I think it's much better to bet on him hitting from round five than letting us down from that point. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in on Travis Etienne. Like same thing with like Brees Hall. Those that kind of range right there that you can see some upside cases. So I think you just have to pick your battles with them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the the right build has to kind of hit. Like if you want to go like later in the draft, you're like, all right, fine. I'll go Devontae Adams with Justin Jefferson if you can kind of pull that off after after this last trade. Um, and then you start hunting in that range. I think that's totally viable. I, I, I kind of want a balanced team. Like I, I don't like looking at roster construction mm-hmm. through the lens of the last, uh, the 18th round or the 20th round. I want to look at it through like the lens of like how my team's looking in the first 12 rounds, because that's where like most of your fantasy points are coming from. Like very rarely are you getting that 16th round player that's actually contributing to your team. But then when we're looking at our roster construction, like the basic ways right now, you're factoring in as if those guys are actually helping your team. Like I want the roster construction to look pretty um, through about round 12. And then from there, just kind of sprinkling in wherever I see fit. Right. You're not going to hit 13, 14, 15, 16 and win because of that. You're going to build a good roster and then hope that among those guys, you pick the one that explodes and is a win rate leader this year. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Be careful though, with terms like bimodal running back, because when you talk to older guys like me, we're like, wait a second, running backs have two wheels now. What is it? What does this mean, man? It was that was terrible. I got I got roasted for that immediately. That was like way too much, too much math terms. I, I learned <laughs> yeah. my lesson with that. Am I learning about best ball here? Am I watching Transformers? Come on, it's not making any sense all of a sudden. All right, so Superflex, that's the tournament we're playing right now. Any research on how we should be treating quarterbacks there so far? Is it just is it too early to really know what we should be doing yet? Yeah, so uh, I think it is too early, but I tried anyways. I I just looked at um, weekly scoring from last year and then comparing that um, to uh, ADP, and I actually did better in best ball for super flex scoring, the same kind of formula, just changing uh, based off of the roster settings. And I came up with five tips. The first one is pretty, pretty simple. You got to draft at least one quarterback in the first two rounds. Most people are doing that. But I think it's very hard to go running back wide receiver. It's hard to make up those quarterback points. So I think basically you're following the trends. But I, I think really because I think it was like the top 10 of the top 12 overall players based off of last year were quarterbacks. And then I think like 12 out of the top 17 players overall were quarterbacks as well. So all of a sudden you're punting off those positions. It's going to be hard to kind of find um, the next tight end. So I think that's like the most simple tip. The second thing is I'm on team wait for the second quarterback in some instances. Now, if you can go Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford at the one, two turn, totally fine with that. But if you have Josh Allen and you're deciding between, Oh, I don't know, Derek Henry or Derek Carr, I'm definitely on team running backs and wide receivers. What happens um, based off the research I've done is people start panicking on that second quarterback and they dra- overdraft the Ryan Tannehills and those types. And they don't have, as many uh, points over replacement as your RB ones, your RB twos, your wide receiver ones, your wide receiver twos. So I'm on team draft wide receivers and running backs in rounds three through five for the most part. And then you can kind of circle back when, when most teams got rid of that panic of about their second quarterback, that's when you kind of double tap. Um, and like perfect example, this year would be like Daniel Jones and Malik Willis, one of those types. And you're rocking the best score between those two. So Take advantage of that that second round quarterback panic, um, unless you can get to the top twelve quarterbacks. That's what that's what I would be doing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think you know a big key to always keep in mind something that has always worked in fantasy drafting is to stay flexible. If you go into the super flex draft thinking I have to have two quarterbacks coming out of the first two rounds, you're starting from behind because you're at some point you're going to be taking the next quarterback as opposed to the running back or wide receiver, and that's just not usually going to work. So yeah, I like playing around with the different things there because, you know, if a guy like Jalen Hurts drops and I can start off with, 
um, Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, that's awesome. If yep. he doesn't, and I'm looking at Kirk Cousins or, you know, top running back, Austin Eckler or a top wide receiver, then I'm going to go that way and then see what happens afterwards. So I like yep. hearing you say that. I also have found myself getting more comfortable with drafting five quarterbacks in these as we go through. And I liken it to drafting five running backs where it's not necessarily the build in the, the standard one quarterback format where we start two running backs every week. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar enough. And you talked about the quarterback points where if we're deciding at the very end of the draft, whether to tack on a rookie quarterback, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, or a backup running back that I'm hoping somebody's going to get hurt. I mean, if one of the, if both of those guys hit the bigger hits going to be the quarterback here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So uh, the other tips I had were assume your starting lineup will have two quarterbacks, two running backs, three wide receivers and a tight end. The regular flex spot, I would say 10 out of 12 times is going to be the, the, the wide receiver. Cause that's basically your wide receiver threes versus your RB threes. And historically wide receiver threes just score more points. And then at the same time, that super flex is going to be about like 70% of your super flex uh, points are going to be coming from a quarterback rather than like the best performing uh, wide receiver four that you still have. Um, obviously, that depends on what kind of build you have and how how good your quarterbacks and wide receivers are. But that's kind of like the basics. And then at the same time, using basic roster construction, I went with uh, four quarterbacks as my like standard build. Mm -hmm. And I think that you make a good point. When I was looking at the ADPs versus where quarterbacks finish, the best values, period, of any position were the quarterback fours. They do not get drafted at all on underdog. Talking about your Kenny Pickett's, your Desmond Ritter's, your Jimmy G's, your Marcus Mariota's, Jacoby Brissett, I'll throw out him because of a suspension. Getting six games out of that quarterback is way more valuable, like you said, than adding that, that sixth uh, running back, that 10th wide receiver. So I think you can go three quarterbacks that you feel fine about. And then instead of wasting that pick on Josh Palmer, sprinkle in that Marcus Mariota. I think that's like the, one of the biggest takeaways um, on the chart I did uh, looking at rankings versus ADP. I like hearing you say that. I like the names that you bring up too, because Jacoby Brissett's somebody I drafted twice over the past couple of days for just that reason. I mean, we're probably looking at some missed games for Deshaun Watson, just ask his contract. And there's a non-zero chance that we get, no Deshaun Watson games for sure this season. So Jacoby Brissett should be probably getting drafted in all of these. I don't know whether he is at this point, but he's certainly like QB 40 ish range. Yeah. He's literally free. He literally is free. And yeah, it goes back. You, you have four quarterbacks for two quarterback spots, or you're going 10 wide receivers for three wide receiver spots. And I know there's variants that we have to apply to all that stuff too, but I think having a fourth quarterback is an edge here. Um, unless you were able to swing like two of the top guys then maybe I would stick with, with three, if you really punted it off going a couple and including that fifth tight end, I think it's uh, totally viable as well. And if you got absolutely no Tom Brady before he came back, then you're just going to be probably crying at the end of the year. Cause I know I'm, yeah. I'm upset about not taking some chances before he told us he was coming back. It's tough. Um, anything else on the other positions before we move away from the super flex stuff? Um, no, the only other note I had was having a decent third quarterback for the bye weeks. What I was looking at is like the quarterback scoring during the bye weeks gets most affected that super flex spot. Cause like week seven last year, there were so many teams on by like the quarterback 24 and scoring that week was like literally getting like three points. So when bye weeks come around, it's affecting the quarterback position more than the wide receiver position. So I think I would rather have a good third quarterback and a worse second quarterback than vice versa. Um, I, like a perfect world, it would be like Josh Allen, wait, 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 Daniel Jones, and then grab uh, two more um, decent third and fourth quarterbacks to play the bye weeks. I think that people are underrating how the bye weeks are going to be affecting that second quarterback. So I, want, I would rather have a good third quarterback and a worse second quarterback than vice versa. Yeah, it just seems like if you're wondering between whether to add a quarterback somewhere, I, other than in those first few rounds, go ahead and lean toward adding a quarterback here because you're going to yeah. hurt yourself more by missing than you will by you know having that quarterback that you just don't need. Yep. All right. So I mentioned at the top that I've been following your work since Roto World. And I first became aware of it there in regards to prospects. So we're going to shift from best ball 
to prospect talk because it's NFL draft season right now. It's NFL draft prep season. So we're all measuring what these guys are doing on turf and wondering whether it matters. And Hayden, I think probably the first thing I saw from you was testing the relevance of the different combine measurements and other metrics, you know, market share, that kind of stuff by position, seeing what mattered to certain positions, what we should just ignore. And I mean, it it was terrific work. That was what made me start being aware of who you were, as opposed to just an article that I read somewhere by somebody. I used some of those results on edge players and linebackers from defense in particular to reinforce my own annual looks into speed score on prospects for the defensive side so first of all you know kudos to your work on there i've enjoyed it all along and people who aren't checking it out certainly should be yeah the the idp i don't play idp leagues personally but like the edge rushers and linebackers like my model loves to project those like linebackers it was basically if you had three metrics if you had draft capital uh tackles in his last season and then speed score you can draft better than like the nfl teams just based off a model off those three things and same thing with the edge rusher like you get give me uh tackles for loss sacks per game and then uh just like an any kind of composite score for edge rushers and like that's all you need it's it's kind of crazy like but like my models with like corners and safeties are like absolutely atrocious uh they're just impossible (laughs) it's like nothing matters to me it's like everything about like safety play is just like how smart are you how instinct instinctual you are and then like which one of those safety spots are you playing and i think that's like where my model was like completely whiffing on guys because like what a free safety is doing in a, in a single high defense is a lot different than what a, uh, a strong safety has to do. So the linebacker model though is my favorite. It's like literally like three variables and like it's, it's sitting pretty. Yeah. It's like, are you fast? Can you tackle? Did they draft you early? Perfect. Sounds awesome. And it, it's it funny to watch stuff like that and, and watch NFL teams pick somebody and you're like, why are you bothering taking that yeah. guy there? He ran yeah. this. I don't think it's going to work out, but I guess we'll yep. see. And then it doesn't work out. Yeah. It, those are my two favorite positions to do the model for. Cause I, I don't, I don't watch like that many defensive players. I just prioritize the fantasy guys, but like there'll be like a couple players where I was like, well, this guy had a hundred tackles last year and he runs a four or five. Like this guy's getting way underdrafted. And it, I, it, I mean, it makes intuitive sense that those positions would work better for this stuff because the further you get from the ball, I think the less it matters that you're actually good at football for producing fantasy numbers. If you're a bad yep. cornerback, you're going to be a lot better fantasy cornerback than Darrell Rivas is because yep. the other team will like throwing at you. You're going to allow receptions. You're going to make tackles. So it, it helps. If you're a good defensive end, you're getting to the quarterback. The bad defensive ends aren't getting to the quarterback more just because of whatever. And then the guys in the secondary who aren't that good are not going to play that so it's yep. nice when stuff like that lines up with what makes sense instead of just a number that you're like, I don't know why it works, but it works. Yeah. Be fast, make, make plays. That's what my model comes down to. <laughs> there you go. So what about the offensive side? What matters at each of the offensive positions as we're assessing these guys for fantasy value? So all my models are looking at draft capital. And like right now, my models are accounting projected draft capital. I use grinding the mocks. They take an aggregate of all of the, the biggest mock drafts out there. That is by far the number one measurable. Like if you just were building rankings off of where they were drafted, I think that I would give you a thumbs up for that. That explains like most of all my projections for quarterbacks. Um, I use a metric called adjusted production. And basically what I'm looking at is how old you are how good of a team did you play for? And then what's your total EPA? Those are kind of like the biggest parts of it. Athleticism, I don't even include uh, in there that much. It's really just where you were drafted and then this adjusted production. So like last year, my model loved Mac Jones. His EPA was off the charts, like 99th percentile. He played for Alabama. I really like the big schools. And I think that's something that kind of I differentiate with is I make sure to include how good the team you were playing with for a couple of reasons. One, there's some signal that you're actually like have some good traits because you were recruited high. The second thing is like you were, your production actually mattered. And if you had a lack of production, it could be just because your teammates are ballers. So um, same thing for wide receivers. I include that. I was higher than other analytical models on Jalen Waddle because I had Alabama in there. If I was just looking at production, I think people would have been lower on him, but I see a bunch of, first round wide receivers playing with him. So I wanted to be higher on him, but basically it's age, age adjusted team adjusted production 
a little bit of athleticism, just like just a little bit, and then where you're getting drafted for all of them. So at quarterback, you mentioned age factoring in. Is it worse to be older? Obviously, if you're Chris Wenke or Brandon Whedon, then it's worse. But, you know, is it worse to be 24 than 23 or 22 at quarterback? So compared to running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, the age at quarterback is less important. Um, I think that there's just, it's harder to become a starting quarterback when you're younger. Um, and also there might just be a little more signal and like, Hey, this person is really mature. He's going to start NFL games earlier. So I'm less, it's less important to me at the quarterback position. Now for running backs and wide receivers in particular, it's vastly important. I want early declares. I want young players, someone like Drake London right now, he's going to be 20 years old on draft night. He's also an early declare like that really matters versus a uh, Jahan Dotson, who is another year older. He played all four years. So that's kind of the biggest thing to me is making sure I have the age for running backs and wide receivers in particular. Those are just easier positions to get playing time early on. Show NFL teams that you're ready to go to the league compared to the quarterbacks. You're only starting one quarterback uh, per college team. You're getting three wide receivers on the field. If you're a baller, you should be kind of starting to stand out pretty early on. Yeah, that's another one of those metrics that have come out, you know, in recent years, a lot of us went through fantasy for a while without realizing that breakout age in college might matter. But once you learn it, it's like, oh, it makes sense. If you were a stud at 18 and 19 when other people were 20 and 21, then it makes sense that you might break out a little bit earlier in the NFL, even though you're younger than other people. So, yeah, it's nice to have new numbers like that come out that we can easily make sense of. How do you weight the big program versus the huge market share stuff? So you get a guy from Western Michigan who sees 30% of everything in receiving versus Jalen Waddell, whose market shares are not impressive, but he's putting up numbers at Alabama. Yeah. So my model weighs it like pretty significantly. And I think it's like the Andy Isabella effect. Like I think I ranked uh, Andy Isabella ahead of DK Metcalf. And I like, I mean, I should have retired. I should have gone to a different field. So did the NFL, no biggie. Yeah, every, everybody, so did fantasy Twitter. So I, we all got it wrong, but it was like so obvious. I was like, yeah, of course, Andy Isabella has better stats. He played a freaking UMass and he wasn't injured. He didn't have like uh, back problems like DK Metcalf did. So yeah, biggest thing I, I want to stand out because of the team strength or strength of schedule, whatever metric you want to use. But if you are not doing that, I think that you are severely lacking. I don't think a lot of the um, analytical people are actually doing this yet. And I think that's like one of the biggest edges. Like I don't, I don't, I love sky more. I think actually sky more is going to be the exception from the small school guys, but um, like Calvin Austin uh, from, from Memphis, like some of these smaller school guys that had pretty good production, like, no, thank you. I'd rather take the the dice roll in that five-star prospect. Like basically if Nick Saban thought you were good, who am I to say that he's not good? So I want to make sure I have that on there. Yeah. I wish that I'd factored that in a little bit more for Jalen Waddell in particular last year. You know, we're always going to have guys that we look back on and we're like, oh, I wish I had, had waited more. So it's important to look at the why and think about what makes sense. And to me, Factoring in that where you go makes sense. I it's I think it's something we do as we look at it. But there have also been years where people are like, don't discount his lower market shares just because he was at Alabama, because none of those Alabama guys have worked yeah. out so far. So, I mean, I guess, like, what what do you say to that when people are like, well, yeah, but Jerry Judy went to Alabama. Is it just it? he's only had two years and we don't know yet? Is it just nothing's 100 percent? I mean, what, what it, what's your response? Yeah, I'm just going to use like the last 15 years of what whatever my database is saying to kind of weigh that out and try, instead of trying to cherry pick things. But I, even even if Jerry Judy wasn't a good NFL player, we when we saw him in college, he was an absolute baller. So if he was averaging 100 yards the previous season and I'm the quarterback, I'm going to be throwing the ball to Jerry Judy rather than uh, early career Devonta Smith or one of those guys. So um, I just want to get them in the right bucket. And that's the other thing with my model is um, I share the percentiles where all these prospects are ranked. It's like easier to digest rather than like throughout these crazy things, but he's a 95th percentile wide receiver. I feel like everyone is like, got it. Um, but that does not mean that I have to like actually believe it. Like Devonta Smith was a 99th percentile prospect in my model. I didn't see 99th percentile. I saw him in the nineties for sure, but I didn't maybe didn't see 99th percentile. Then with Jamar chase, he was the best prospect in my model ever. I was like, I saw that he's there easy number one we're, we're ready to go so I, even if my model i'll tinker or i won't tinker my model but i do my own rankings 
Mm -hmm. after I finish, after I watch all these players as well. You might go against your model, just kind of more anecdotally. Yeah, I want them. I want my model to kind of put them in the right bucket, and that's kind of my priority list of like, all right, which wide receivers do I actually need to be watching? And then, like, for example, George Pickens, like 84th percentile, I put on the tape. I'm like, oh, there's a little something to this. I think I might be a little bit higher even than that. And the, on the flip side, like Christian Watson, some models might like him because he's super athletic. He had decent market share numbers, but then I put on the tape and I'm like, well, I didn't really see it with him. He seems very underdeveloped he's older i'm going to be lower on him so the model is like one aspect of it but it's like certainly not uh, my entire evaluation mm -hmm. what should i care about with running backs i know we uh, we talked about it a little bit but what what matters most here yes yeah, so i would say age early declare where you went to school are, are the biggest ones in draft capital so for me right now the the two prospects that are kind of in their own tier to me in this class Kenneth Gainwell and, and Brees Hall, both in that 90th percentile range. Or Kenneth Walker, right? Yeah, Kenneth Walker, sorry. Um, and the production is just off off the charts uh, for, for really for both of them. Athleticism matters a little bit, but not, not all that much. But I do think that athleticism matters for draft capital. So I think that maybe the fantasy community is underrating it now because everyone's assuming that athleticism doesn't matter. Well, if you're like a really bad athlete like David Bell, I think that instead of being drafted in the second round now is probably a third round pick. And even if the athletic uh, measurables aren't that correlated, the draft capital certainly is. So I think that it still matters um, a little bit, but Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall to me were the top prospects just because they had a bunch of production, both power five schools, and they're both projected to go like probably in the second round. How much have you found that receiving production in college matters for predicting pro receiving production? Yeah, it's it certainly matters. It's I think that if you if I combined it with like weight, I would have probably a, a better projection. Um, mm -hmm. But I think too many examples of running backs that didn't have receiving work in college that can do it in the pros just because of like the system, like Wisconsin, for example, with Melvin Gordon, like that system just like never going to check their ball, check the ball down to the running back, and then like in a spread system, you might get some more checkdowns to the flats versus like a play action type of team so i think it certainly matters it's definitely positively correlated but for the same time like kenneth walker if he caught some passes i wouldn't be that surprised now the problem with him is he's like an absolutely atrocious pass protector so i'm kind of down on him on, on third downs in the nfl but he's young enough to kind of develop and i can see him not being a total zero in the passing game we should probably call him something different than pass protector, like rush acceptor or something like that. Yeah. He, well, what happens is like, he's such a physical player. And then all of a sudden in pass protection, he just like only does cut blocks. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like you fight for contact everywhere else. And like a, a pass rusher comes, you just like fall to the ground. I, yeah. I, I mean, it. that seems like a matter of how much you care about. It's like, man, I got the ball. What am yeah. I going to do? Like, to hurt myself just to make sure he doesn't get sacked. <laughs> and I don't blame him. He's, he's getting paid $0. He's about to get this massive contract. So maybe things will change, but certainly on the radar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So who do your models like? You've mentioned some of the names so far, but any other guys that stand out? Um, that you really like by position this year? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with running backs. The name I like the best, and it was like perfect. I put him into my model, and then I watched the tape, and I was like, both got check marks from me, was Rashad White from Arizona State. Now, he is a little bit older. He is not an early declare. He actually was a Juco transfer, but he was a great athlete. His production the last two years were off the charts. Um, does come from a Power 5 school. He caught passes, like you said. He's actually good in pass protection when it comes to awareness and all that stuff. And I think that he's helped himself with the stock. He's a 73rd percentile prospect in my model, but that's only assuming that he gets drafted 104th overall. And if I was guessing now, I think he's getting drafted ahead of that, especially after Isaiah Spiller kind of had an iffy pro day. I'm probably going to end up ranking him as my RB three in this class ahead of Isaiah Spiller, um, even though he's older, I thought that he has a better chance just because he's so athletic and the production was there. So he's my favorite of the guys I actually think have a chance at running back. The guy that I would be willing to roll the dice would be Zamir White. And that's just coming from Georgia. He did not have the production, but a lot of the Georgia guys kind of find themselves in committees and he was dealing with so many injuries, but you can kind of see it in burst. Like for a second, you're like, wow, that was some serious explosion. So that'll probably take a couple of years, but I think if I was an NFL team or at fantasy, I can see him playing three downs, B 
be a backup. And then all of a sudden week 13, we're ranking him as like the RB 25 on the week. Yeah. That Georgia backfield has been crowded more often than it hasn't been in recent years. So it's definitely a place to not overrate the lack of opportunity. I would say I, I, how much do you think the draft or have you found that draft capital makes up for poor testing or poor speed or, or any other things? I'm very curious on Kyron Williams because he, if you watch him, he looks like a guy that NFL coaches are going to love. And then he ran terribly. So I wonder if we're going to find a team that's like, I don't care if he only runs a four, six, five, he'll protect my quarterback. I can put yep. him in at the goal line. He can catch passes. And if they draft him, you know, at the end of round three or early round four, I mean, does that make up for him running, you know, around seven forty time? Yeah. He was literally a bottom first percentile uh, athlete, according to adjusted spark but I still have him projected for the hundredth overall pick. And that still makes him a 57th percentile prospect. Now going into the draft, I thought he was going to be probably in the 70th percentiles and be possibly the RB three in this class. I just don't see it anymore. So it's, it's kind of sad, but I'm still leaving the light. If, if everyone's going to completely panic in dynasty and all that stuff, I still think that coaches, like you said, are just going to be like, well, he's going to protect Joe Burrow's ACL. And like, that is the most important rather than getting that extra, down so i think he's pretty he's probably pretty limited to that third down role but we've seen third down roles be um somewhat um productive for fantasy in in ppr league so i moved him down my rankings but i'm not like completely shutting him out yeah he's been interesting because he was like rb40 on underdog before the testing and then he's in rb67 rb70 something right now so it's like all right i I was out on him before but if everybody's out on him then back in see what happens for sure who do you like at uh, wide receiver? Yeah, so my wide receiver one is Drake London. I think all the top five guys make sense to me. They are the top five guys in my model, all of them in the 90th percentile. Drake London, I thought, just has the best chance of being a three-level weapon. He can play just on because the outside. USC, is it? Yeah, this is my USC bias coming through <laughs> like crazy. But he was massively productive um in his eight healthy games before he fractured his ankle uh like i said 20 years old um i think that he has a chance to be the first wide receiver drafted i've seen some daniel jeremiah drafts or mock drafts where he's been like that i think that the biggest thing with with drake london is people think that he's not a good separator and while he's probably a four fives athlete when it comes to like deep ball he's not going to be running that many deep deep routes i thought he'd create a lot of separation underneath because he's like a very fluid athlete like you can tell that this dude played basketball i thought that his fluidity and his ability to like sink his hips was very good and he's super lengthy and i think that they gave him like 3.5 screens a game like that's the kind of production that i'm looking for where i can see him being a top five top 10 nfl receiver uh one of these days just because he threatens these corners at all three levels because he can either moss you or they're going to throw him a little bubble screen it's pretty rare prospect to be able to do both of that so some of the comps that i can see are pretty high on him who else do you like besides them but don't go to usc (laughs) yeah of course um well i want to buy sky more i want to buy the sky more hype he had 96 percentile adjusted production uh early declare all that stuff tested tested decently well um, I thought his tape was good. His releases might be the best in the class. He's got huge hands, like five nine, but he's got like ninety fifth percentile hands, which makes no sense to me. But we gotta love that. I think going down to George Pickens, he's somebody that my model has no idea what to do with him because he didn't play at all. Um, but he tested better than what I think some people thought he would. He is willing to absolutely throw corners around the field, which I, I really do love, and I think that coaches will love that as well. And, and like literally do it, not just figuratively, oh, like literally. He will literally throw you into the second row. That's not a problem at all. Another one of those five-star guys, he was a, a true freshman breakout at Georgia, led the team in receiving and touchdowns per game that season. That was a very good Georgia team. So my model likes that. And I just think that if he hits, he hits as your starting X receiver. And some of these other guys like David Bell, uh, John Metzi, uh, Jahan Dotson, Wandale Robinson. If those guys hit, they'd probably hit as like slot receivers or the second or third targets. If George Pickens hits, he hits as a number one receiver. So even if the bus rate is probably higher just because he's been kind of a, a wild card, I think I want to roll the dice because ultimately 
you're not starting the sixth best wide receiver on your fantasy team ever. You're actually trying to get to, could this guy have enough of a ceiling to be one of my top three guys who's actually getting points? I think that Pickens has like the range of outcomes to allow that to happen. Right. I think DK Metcalf is a good cautionary tale for him. We were worried about the injuries. You know, he didn't run his three cone as fast as we would have liked at the combine, but he was a monster who delivered when he was healthy at an SEC school. So I, I agree. I think even if you end up being wrong, I would much rather be wrong on a guy with stud upside than be right on a guy with, I don't know, Emmanuel Sanders upside. Yeah, totally agree. And I, Emmanuel Sanders was my comp for like Jahan Dotson. He's kind of like on that Darnell Mooney up to Emmanuel Sanders, which is cool. That could still work out. But like if George Pickens gets right, like that's like could be like Des Bryant or something, something like that. So right. might as well roll the dice. Yeah, not to denigrate Emmanuel Sanders. He has given us lots of fantasy value, but you can find an Emmanuel Sanders every year. So yeah. it's you don't need to make sure you get that guy. What about for best ball purposes? Who among these rookies should be getting drafted earlier than they have been or earlier than they are right now. Cause you know, a lot has changed already as we just kind of talked about with Kyron Williams in particular. Yeah. I mean, I think that Kenneth Walker is getting drafted too late. I'm kind of curious why, like, I don't understand why he's getting basically no hype. He was uh 87th percentile prospect in my model with day two draft capital. And I mean, he had good athleticism and he was, let's see, I have it right here he was like 96th percentile when it comes to adjusted production. So he's being drafted in like the RB thirties. And I don't see why he can't be a top 20 running back. If the right landing spot comes into play and the landing spot thing game is getting super hard to predict because neither one of these guys are first round picks. So like that second round range could go, you can go to any one of these teams, but I think if Kenneth Walker gets into the right landing spot, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he was being drafted ahead of Brees Hall once we get into the summer. I think that Kenneth Walker was like, to me, by far the best pure rusher in this class. I think that he's a much better rusher than Brees Hall is um, just when it comes to like vision and burst. Yeah, I think the reason that I would not take him ahead of Brees Hall probably, I mean, we'll see about landing spots, but the receiving difference yep. between them is pretty significant. I th- I'm sure that that's sure. part of what's holding him down right now. He's got 19 career receptions, so it's a little bit tough to know what he's going to give us receiving-wise. But I think the other thing that's keeping him down there is we also have guys like CEH and Miles Sanders down there. Running backs yeah. are being drafted kind of weirdly right now. And people are just apprehensive on rookies until they find landing spots. It's it's one edge that you can get, especially if you're drafting for volume and you can just take chances on different guys. But we, we know that these rookies are going to move up. So I think that's why it's particularly helpful to, to single out guys that are going later and have big upside versus where they'll eventually go. Who else do you think fits that category, either at running back or um, the other positions? Like going back to like super flex drafts, I think that some of these quarterbacks should be getting drafted. Like you're on team quarterback four and quarterback five, like Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter would probably be my favorites kind of in that category, just because they can run it a little bit. Some of the film guys, I haven't watched the quarterbacks yet, but I know some of the film guys are like kind of interested in Desmond Ritter and he's getting some round one buzz right now so i think that if he kind of pops that would be worthwhile for for super flex drafts in particular kind of going back to the kyron discussion david bell because of his athletic testing if people freak out too much he can be one of those guys that ends up being a value i still think he's going to be drafted on probably round three and i think he can be a power slot role that's kind of like where he wins and he was a good route runner very productive still so even if the athleticism caps his ceiling and like his draft capital ceiling, I think that people could freak out too much. And then he end up might being like kind of a power slot. I'm not, like not as good as Keenan Allen, but like that could be like the upside case. And he was super productive early to clear all that fun stuff. I'm glad that Sky Moore has not started the Elijah Moore trajectory yet. Cause he's somebody that jumped out to me on the market shares front and then the testing kind of supported him. So oh, yeah. I'm glad he's staying in late rounds for us. I've also been kind of, trying to look for some guys that could be, you know, outside of ADP that are, that are going free at this point. Alec Pierce is somebody who's I think 10th in grinding the mocks among wide receivers right now. And he is not getting drafted at all. So those kind of guys are particularly interesting to me right now. Yeah. The like next group of players like Tyquan Thornton, Alex Pierce, Khalil Shakur, Jalen Tolbert, um, Justin Ross is still getting drafted pretty high. 
those are like the kind of like the next wide receiver names that you can throw in at like the end of your draft as well. What do you make of Justin Ross, by the way? Because he's one who produced early, but then had the injury stuff. And it, it's tough to know what yeah. to make of him at this point. Yeah. So uh, I just learned that he was playing on a stress fractured foot last year, which kind of explains like, I mean, he couldn't move at all. Like in my notes, I was like, no yards after the catch ability. Um, he's super tall and like the production was there, but it's, it's been a while. It's been multiple different injuries, which is kind of concerning for him. And then he was not the greatest athlete. So I don't know. I, I know some people think that he's could be a second round pick. I'd be kind of surprised at this point. So I think that he's a bet. I'll let somebody else make same thing with um, Christian Watson. Like that. I think those are the guys I would rather just kind of bet against them just because they're missing one huge part of this where they're whether it comes from age or injury history all that stuff i'd rather uh take the gamble on like a, a george pickens yeah and and for a redraft in particular i think justin ross is somebody who looked interesting to me in the late rounds early on but then as i think about it more it's somebody that the the payoff is not big enough to match the risk i think even if you're taking him in you know round 17 obviously the downside is not large but yeah, there are also other guys that you can hope for big things from, even if big things are just two usable leagues. His his role was weird in college too because he's kind of like builds and plays like as a contested catch jump ball outside receiver. But then at Clemson, he was playing in the slot a little bit too. So I'm kind of confused, like where even to project him, like what kind of role is he actually going to be in? Because like when I see his profile, I'm like, oh, that dude should be playing on the outside and just wind up these these go go balls down the field but then i look at his like slot percentage it's like 50 50 i'm like what is i don't even know what how to even explain uh anything about justin ross and he's if he's too confusing for me i'd, I'd rather let somebody else take the gamble yeah is it trey mcbride and chill at tight end in this class i actually think that trey mcbride was kind of overrated i just see somebody that was very like a, a massively productive but at a school that like has zero zero mm -hmm. talent at all he was a 35th percentile athlete and tight end athleticism matters a little bit more and i think the reason that is is because if you're a good athlete you're not going to be asked to block and like that's where the fantasy points come into play so i think that that's why athleticism matters more than it does at running back and wide receiver like those guys like you're going to be out getting fantasy points but at tight end like you're playing either two different types of positions so i think that's why athleticism matters my favorite sleeper by far is isaiah likely he was a wide receiver convert and he is a good athlete and very productive. He is a small school guy, but he actually has like the athleticism that I'm looking for. And he goes undrafted. I struggle to see how these rookies get too mm -hmm. much playing time. Like I thought Pat Fryermuth was like a, I gave him a first round grade last year. I don't see that in this class, mm -hmm. but I think Isaiah likely if you're like in dynasty him and then Greg Dolchich talking about it, uh, my USC bias, I actually think that this UCLA Bruin, is pretty good. So those are my two guys, likely in Dolchich. Nice. Yeah. I, I think it's not a group that you should be looking at for redraft purposes, but you know, yeah. we'll get something for a uh, dynasty. So it's good to get a sleeper worked in anybody else at any position for anything that we haven't gotten to yet. The, uh, that you want to get out there before we finish up. Yeah. I would say like the last thing just talking about best ball in general, I think one of the, my findings and it's been the last two seasons is the RB insurance guys are just so valuable on this. Like Alexander Madison's Daryl Henderson's those types, uh, uh, Khalil Herbert's another example behind David Montgomery. Like these types of backs, I think are their ceiling is not getting baked into a lot of the projections. It's a very hard player to project, but if, if Dalvin cook gets suspended or misses time, Alexander Madison, would be ranking him inside the top 10 at running backs. And he's being drafted 120th overall. Look at the names like around him. Like, you, it's very hard to see any of those names around him giving you that type of ceiling and we're playing for these tournaments. So I think that just once again, like really going out of your way to find like the ceiling projection every single week. And those are like the downfield threats at wide receiver, but also at the running back position, just like who goes into a massive role. Like JD McKissick probably has a higher chance of outscoring Alexander Madison this year, but Alexander Madison has a way better chance of actually winning me a million dollar prize, a $2 million prize on underdog this year. So I want to be completely overweight on all those guys, even like Naeem Hines, like going like 190th overall right now. Like that's the guy he's not going to have the full Jonathan Taylor role, but like give me 75% of that and I'll figure out the rest later. So keep hammering those guys. I think it's like one of the biggest edges still.
Nice. Yeah, I agree with that. You can find his material at underdognetwork.com and on the Underdog Fantasy YouTube channel. You're probably already following at Hayden Winks on Twitter. If you're not, really, you're doing it wrong. Hayden, it's always good having you on here. Anything in the queue for you that people should be looking for coming soon? Just more prospect talk. We're doing uh, film and stat breakdowns on our YouTube channel. We just did the wide receivers. Running backs will be next week. And then I'm going to really start ripping up some super flex content just dropped a full uh, breakdown on the game. It's a fascinating game. It's completely unsolved yet. Um, so I want to try to get some, some good data in there before everyone else figures it out first. And of course we talked about your prospect work. Josh Norris is not a, not too shabby in the prospect area either. He's been doing that for quite a while. Yeah. The mock draft King, his first mock drafts coming out. He set the all time record. He'll, he'll let you know about it too. <laughs> nice i'll be listening I, I like to find it thanks again for coming on today and yeah thanks for having me appreciate it whether you are grinding best ball drafts right now or focusing on your dynasty rookie draft head to draftsharks.com become a ds insider our 2022 rankings are live our constantly improving draft war room is live our entire dynasty prospect scouting report series is totally free we added kenny pickett Jamison Williams, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, and Jahan Dotson to that group this week, up to 14 total prospects, with more coming just about every day between now and the NFL draft. So check it out. For my guest Hayden Winks and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us.